Well, welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. Uh, my name's Nate. I'm here with Sung Kim, who is the lead pastor of Grace Churches. And, and in this initial season of this podcast, we've been talking about rhythms, small rhythms. We've been talking about seasons, which are kind of like large rhythms. And we also want to talk about uh, stages of life and the rhythms that go along with specific stages of life. In our last episode, we kind of gave an overview and described that we're going to be uh, focusing on the writings of an author whose name is super easy to remember, Eric Erickson. And uh, he talks about um, emotional development, emotional stages. Do I have that? Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Emotional and social. Yeah, emotional and social. But but one of the benefits that we have is that we can also look at it from sort of a spiritual application. Right. And uh, so we're starting at the very beginning, which, um, as the sound of music describes, is a very good place to start. You not know that song? From I don't. Sound of music. <laughs> <laughs> I will spare you all. I won't sing it. Sing it. I'm uh, curious. We'll start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Uh, so no, okay. I don't know it. Doa Deer, it's the beginning of oh, the Doa Deer. that I know. Yeah. Okay, all right, well, that's how the song starts. So we're going to start at the beginning, very good place to start, and we're going to start with infancy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, should, I should probably have sound effects or something <laughs> for each stage. Um, so, and correct me if I if I have this wrong, but it seems like at each sort of stage, there's a, a key sort of emotional development or mm-hmm. a key sort of uh, emotion that that either um, forms or doesn't form in that stage that we then carry through. Am I, is that pretty yes. close? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us what it is for infancy. So infancy, Eric would say it's uh, trust versus mistrust. Okay. And again, that carries all through adulthood. I'm, I mean, you think of ways that you trust people and the ways that you don't. Yeah. And, and we even have that, you know, that saying of, you know, I have trust issues. Mm. Um, and again, without trying to psychologize too much, I, I mean, there, there is so much that affects us, even in the early stages. And there's so much writing uh, medically and, and uh, sociologically, psycho- psychologically, that kind of uh, give evidence to that. So what's interesting as we were sort of talking about this concept a little bit is that there there isn't there's only one way to build trust with an infant essentially right you know right. they they're, they're not swayed by arguments and you as every young parent has tried to like convince their baby to stop crying it do, it doesn't work <laughs> but there is a very very powerful tool that's very, very effective. Yeah, it is. And uh, let me just start off by just citing a, a for me at least, a a really fascinating uh, discovery that happened about 100 years ago where a doctor, he was in charge of all these children's clinic all throughout the United States. And there would be drug addicted babies and preemies who would die at a radically high rate compared to the general population, obviously. But then there was one city in particular where that was not the case, uh, and he tried to factor in all sorts of is- things, everything from food and sanitation, nursing care, uh, you know, quality of medical care, all that. And uh, he found there was only one difference between the, the cities where uh, high death mortality rate was happening in, in these infants and then where it wasn't. And the one difference was in that one city in the hospital uh, there were, let's say, for example, preemies who were on the verge of life and death. And uh, they, every, every time a preemie f- uh, was on the fence there, they would uh, give it to this one nurse, old Anna. I, I think that was her name or something like that. And, and she just held the baby. Mm. 
and, and that was actually the, the difference between life and death uh, for so many of these preemies to the, to the point where if, you, if they put a preemie in an incubator, uh, the, the rate of survival was like 5% versus uh, being held, and it jumped to like 60%. Survival. And, and it's not like there was a difference in medical care necessarily. No. It was exclusively the power of touch. Yes. And so the power of touch, I, I think, and again, let, let's say this right from the get-go, you know, especially with the Me Too movement, sexual assault and abuse, like, man, we are talking about, like, this might seem kind of nostalgic, but, like, just touch in, in the best uh, way possible. <laughs> that is not, like... Uh, abusing or pressing right. or, or hurting, right? right? We're going to be very pro-touch <laughs> in this in this episode, but it's good touch only. As long as you don't touch me, Nate. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sung is never pro-touch. <laughs> we'll get into that, trust me. <laughs> so uh, one thing that's really fascinating, they, they had this experiment a number of years ago where they intentionally left money behind, right, cash. People are like, what? What is that? Yeah, cash. Um, and, and it was found by the next person who, 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 who came across the cash. And then they had the experimenter approach the person and, and said it was theirs and asked for it back. And very seldomly, rarely did they ever return uh, the money unless the experimenter did one thing. And that was in the, in the course of the conversation they touch the other person you know let's say on the elbow or just to basically to like touch forms a bond of trust that's really developed in infancy and if you think about it our skin is is the largest sense organ that we have Mm -hmm. and it's the neediest one even for those people who don't seem to need it like me yeah it, it, it is the neediest one what is it what do you mean by neediest well so again um going into the world of, uh, of therapy a bit, like some therapists would say, you need four hugs to survive okay. a day. Okay. Uh, eight to maintain. And if you want to grow and flourish, you need 12 hugs a day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, That's and, so, great. And, and, and this affects us even emotionally and socially because just think about, like, I, I know this happens with Amy and I. Like, if, if we have, ever have a misunderstanding or there's hurt feelings, what might take hours to resolve in, ju- in just like logic and conversation within a few minutes or just moments, like if I just go up and hug her or touch her, like mm. that, I mean, so again, the, 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 the way that touch can kind of uh, cut through yeah. so many things that are like logical or, or you know. Um, right, it really does. And it, it's, it does something that's at a different level than sort of our, you, you know, cognitive sort of evaluative. And so it makes sense that that would be so powerful to an infant that really only has a, a couple senses working, right? Like their <laughs> eyesight isn't, you know, right. they, they have, but touch is one of the primary ways that they're engaging with the world around them. Yeah, yeah. You know, this makes me think of, again, the story that we referred to in the la- at the end of the last episode, um, you know, that, yeah, uh, again, you know, my parents, But like I was, I was born in South Korea. My parents were, yeah, uh, and uh, about like nine months after I was born, my parents moved here to the states, and I was left uh, to raise, be raised by wolves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, actually, by my, my by my maternal grandmother. She was my only caretaker, and then when I, when my parents who were immigrants who ra- uh, they they 
saved enough money to uh, have me and my grandmother come to the States. I was about two years old. So the first uh, year and a half of my life was in the absence of or, or, or no presence with my parents. Yeah. The, the moment I stepped off the plane with my grandmother, my mom, who saw me, and, and she, she would say, to, uh, like, yeah, Sung looked like this scrawny, dirty orphan. Oh, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> she was like, oh, Sung, come here. You know? And she would, and I kind of had this terrified look on my face, and she was like, I'm your mother. And, and she, like, nearly fainted because I was so skinny and just, you know, and, and um you know, this was she'll she'll share this as an instant of just instance of just heartbreak as a mom. Yeah. You know, in that moment where she's like, "Son, come here, give me a hug," I, I shook my head no, and I said, "You're not my mother." Oh man! And I pointed to my grandmother and said, "She's my mother." Oh wow! <laughs> and uh, again, the the kind of bond that is formed through touch. Yep. And, um, you know, I don't know, I'm just kind of theorizing here, but again, I, I've had moments, especially during my adolescence where I just, uh, have, uh, it was a pretty intense season of butting heads with both my parents. And sometimes I wonder like what, what effect, uh, right. That like does some of that go back to yeah. infancy before yeah. you were sort of even mentally aware of it. Yeah. And so, uh, again, touch has a, a lot of social and emotional impact, um, you know, and again, I don't want to get to like, oh, is that really true or not? Or, uh, you know, again, just t- uh, just taking it for what it is, you know, um, uh, they, they all, uh, s- um, social scientists will say that uh, I- in infancy, if you don't have, if you don't, if you don't receive enough touch, that in adulthood, that actually creates uh, type A behavior. Hmm which correlates with uh, a sense of mistrust, which is there's a sense of hostility or anger. You're addicted to chronic speed and impatience. I don't know anybody like that. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> although we also have probably alienated a large portion of the Ann Arbor listening population <laughs> by dogging on type A's. Right. Uh, and, and in fact, they would say that uh, because of the first two years of development, because there was not the sense of touch and trust built there, that that can lead to, uh, there's a high correlation to antisocial and even criminal behavior as you grow up as an adult. Fascinating. Yeah. And so I think this has a lot of correlations even for us spiritually. Um, you know, I, I think one of the ways I can think of this, and, and I, I think there's multiple here, but um, I, I think the way that uh, you see God is shaped by the way that you have or have not received love from your parents. Yeah. And so, um, and in fact, the way you see God also determines who you will let God be for you and how much you can actually, how, how much you actually let God uh, give you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really a far leap to say that, that the way that we feel about our parents, I mean, the, the, as you start to learn about the Bible, he, it is so often using parental language. God is our father. We're children of God, blah, blah, blah. And so it's not a far leap to say those words carry power, right? And as you hear God described as a father, you can't help but kind of make attributes of your own father right. tied to who to who God is. Well, and, and again, and God, uh, just as an aside, the Bible also speaks of God in the feminine uh, gender as well, too, talking about, uh, you know, what's the verse about? The, she, God is like a hen gathering yeah. her chicks. Yeah, how I've longed to gather you like mm-hmm. a mother hen gathers her yeah. chicks under her wing. And, and even just when it talks about, like, you know, the, the story of the 
prodigal son. Uh, I, I, the, the other story uh, of that is a, a woman seeking after a lost coin. Yeah. And so the woman is, is God yeah. seeking after us. And so again, God goes beyond male, female, gender. But again, like, but again, like if you have issues uh, like with your father or your mother, like it's not a far leap. And often there's a very high correlation. Uh, oftentimes, if you're like, I really have problems with, with God being my father, like it's not God that's the issue. Usually there's some underlying issues and emotions uh, for us. Right. So and we're, we're diving a little deeply into psychology here, but it would be interesting to to for, our, you know, to reflect and for our listeners to reflect if trusting God is hard for you. It, it might be helpful to look at early childhood and simply mm. say, are, is there a thread there? And look, there may be, there may not be, but, but looking could perhaps bring some things to light that you weren't considering before. No, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, even from me, just preparing a bit for this podcast episode, I've had to reflect on that too. And as you and many people at Grace know, um, like I, <laughs> I do not like hugging people. That is true. Outside my wife and kids, who I like, I, I, I think especially my son. Like, whenever I'm home, I'm like, my God, come here, give me a hug. My God, come here, give me a hug. Yeah. Like, I'm hug starved there um, to the point where uh, does he I have get, to hug? He has to hug you ten times so that you can <laughs> grow and flourish. <laughs> he does. <laughs> no, I, I get a few from him and a few from my uh, daughter and my my wife. So uh, again, like I I can't get enough hugs at home. But man, outside outside the house. Um, yeah, there is a, a sense of, I, I don't know that I want to form that kind of bond mm. that touch creates. Yeah. You know, I've had people say, what's the big deal, Sung? It's just a hug. Uh, and I wonder, you know, I'm not saying definitively, uh, if it's a combination of both nature and nurture. You know, for example, uh, I didn't realize this until uh, kind of recently, but like as an Enneagram A, and that's a whole nother thing but if you're familiar with the Enneagram 8 like th their biggest struggle is trust mm. and when I think of the narrative that I grew up with not only as a kid but as an adult yeah it, it's like the world out there is a mean place mm. and I need to survive and I can't depend on anybody except my own resources which as a Christian is, is like a terrible place yeah. to be yeah but that can be my default place. And so, again, even with hugging, like, again, I, 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 you know, I'll say this. I really do appreciate the few people who will just push their way in and just insist that I <laughs> hug them. Right. right. Yeah. Because one, I, 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 behind that, there is a sense of like, oh, okay, they, they really want to bond. Mm. Uh, and, and you know what? When I think of the people who do that, uh, it's really easy to think of them because it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I trust them in a sense. Yeah. I don't know that I would have articulated that before, but. It's it's true. Yeah. There's a different level of trust. Yep, absolutely. And I think, and this sounds terrible to say as a pastor, but it's like, yeah, uh, outside my family, uh, you know, I, I trust people on, on a surface level, mm. you know, but to really get inside, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, there are trust issues for me. Interesting. You, you know, growing up, my dad was a pastor. Man, I saw so many times where the church people like stabbed my dad in the back. And I don't have that same issue in general with church people, but I, I will say there are there there is a sense of like, oh, yeah, you know, well, this person, because they didn't like, you know, the drums, they're leaving the church, and now they're out of my life. Mm. And as, as um, 
as strong of an exterior as I may have, like, man, I feel that loss yeah. relationally. Yeah. Like, it, you know, I, I don't have that same sense of, like, you know, wanting to cling to them or whatever. But, uh, again, just to, just to be honest, it, it, it's like, yeah, that, that's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that comes to mind for me is that when we talk about, especially as we move into sort of like the spiritual component, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be physical touch. Mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, from adult to adult, I think a really helpful analogy is kind of like the, 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 the gift of presence. Um, because one of the things that you said in an earlier conversation about that study of, of infants, you know, in the ICU or, or premature babies is that it wasn't just about the being physically held, but it had to do with sort of like the attention given yeah. to the child in that being held. And, and, and I certainly have been in in a conversation with someone who, even though maybe they weren't physically touching me, their their presence and their attention was wholly focused on me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's one of the gifts of, of meeting regularly with a spiritual director. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been blessed to have a couple really great spiritual directors, but one of the things I always walk away with is they turned their entire being to me mm -hmm. for the space of an hour. And, and that, that in and of itself is a way by which we can sort of guide people through spiritual infancy. Right. You know, like devoting ourselves wholly to someone who is in spiritual in infancy can be so, so powerful mm -hmm. um, and, and create the ability for them to trust, uh, you know, freely and to trust God yeah. as, they, as they go through life. Yeah, I, I think another analogy, and we'll call it that, or a metaphor of spiritual infancy, uh, and, and we've talked about this, Nate, like when somebody becomes a newborn Christian, yeah. one of, uh, you know, uh, maybe a parallel is one of the most important things that can happen is, is that person surrounding themselves, yeah. rubbing shoulders with, if you will, with a, a, a local church. Yep. I mean, I became a Christian my freshman year, and then I dived into uh, uh, um, the uh, community at the church there. And, and when I think of the first few years of my spiritual life as a Christian, those were so formative because mm -hmm. I, I went from this rebellious, empty kind of like, you know, uh, person to like just like as a, as a newborn spiritually, just really taking in so much and learning so much. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, and it's also a charge for those of us that would consider ourselves, you know, sp spiritually mature that that if if you are if you have the opportunity to to give your presence to someone, that is so so powerful. It is it's so so powerful. Yeah, and it, uh, man, if you've ever uh, mentored or been in a relationship with somebody who is a spiritual newborn, one of the things that is so challenging and so exciting is, is uh, sometimes, you know, you, you just kind of get used to kind of reading the Bible yeah. and it's just kind of rote and praying, but they come at it with a sense of like, oh my goodness. Wonder. I, yeah. And, and so on one hand, it is so convicting because you're just like, oh my goodness, this, this person's fresh passion, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, um, really outshines where I am. At the same time, sometimes you just, like, there have been moments where, where I've said things, and I just think they're not particularly wise or brilliant, mm -hmm. but because they're just so hungry, yeah. they're just like, oh, that is so good. Yeah. 
and, and it impacts them in such powerful ways. And you realize, oh my goodness, like I don't think that's my posture that I have towards God. Oh man, I, I remember my wife was was discipling a young believer. Uh, this was years and years ago when we lived in Grand Rapids, and she would come home from their weekly or biweekly meetings. And she would be challenging this young woman on on lots of different things in her life. I mean, gently, my wife is very, very, you know, gentle in the way she does that. But she would say she would this young woman would just cry the entire time. And at the end, she would say, that's really hard. I can do that. <laughs> but, you know, there's just like this freshness yeah. of, of a new believer. Everything is like like heightened. Yeah. You know, and it's really it's a privilege. It's a it privilege is. to be, uh, you know, in that type of relationship uh, with someone who's a new believer. Yeah, I, I also think sometimes the way that they're, they just uh, spontaneously respond to obey God, yeah. like they want to, you know, it, almost a, to a point where it's like, God says this, wow, that, that, my life is not in line with that. I better get in line with that. Yeah. Like as you grow older, uh, like you see so many times in your heart where you kind of excuse or self-justify, and then when you're confronted with that, there's a sense of, oh, man, I <laughs> I, I, I'm being reverse mentored here. I mean, what's interesting is that we're actually talking about trust. The mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. about someone who is experiencing God for the first time is that everything that comes in, they're like, uh, wow, I believe that. Or, wow, I need to do something about that. I, I can myself be very cynical. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that was written for, you know, in a different <laughs> era for a different people, you know. But somebody that is reading it, uh, reading the Bible for the first time, uh, they just simply trust that that's what it is. And again, you know, if we go back to sort of like the incubator analogy, mm-hmm. you just realize how important it is that those formative moments happen in the context of a community. Right. As someone is sort of like open to all of this, we want to make sure that we are very, very close, that that uh, that they are surrounded by people. And I, sh- I guess we should say we, because this isn't just like a one-time thing that we sort of whip our way through and now we never have trust issues again. As, as God is growing us, that we need to be surrounded by people who will gift us with their presence uh, in order for, for trust to, to be built, not just between, you know, horizontally, but vertically as well. Yeah. And so that means when somebody becomes a new Christian, it's insufficient or inadequate to just say, well, read your Bible and pray. Yeah. Like that's incubator mentality Yeah. versus old Anna holding you, or in this case, a village of, you know, Anna's rubbing shoulders and just immersing yourself in that kind of relationship and community. It's good. It's a good word. There's a good charge for those of us that are growing and for those of us that have the opportunity to grow others, the gift of your presence. So thanks for being with us for this episode. Sung, what are we looking at uh, next time we get together? So we're looking at play age and school age where we talk about shame and guilt. Oh, man, that is going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again for joining us, everybody. 